I'm Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. This program featuring stories about the past, present, and future of no-till farming is sponsored by Martin Industries. And in this episode, we share some perspective from two experienced farmers from the floor at this year's Commodity Classic Show in San Antonio. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes as soon as they're released. Veteran no-tiller and strip-tiller David Hula is no stranger to breaking yield records. Since 2003, the Charles City, Virginia grower has topped the National Corn Yield Contest numerous times setting in 2017 the world record at the time of 542 bushels per acre in one of his no-tilled cornfields. Then in 2019, he shattered the record with a yield of 616 bushels per acre of corn on strip-tilled ground. David and his family farm along the shores of the James River in southern Virginia, which is only a few miles from the 1607 historical Jamestown settlement that was the first prominent English settlement in the Americas. Having personally visited the Hewa farming operation, no-till farmer editor Frank Lesseter says he's never met any other no-tiller who's been more intent on pushing corn yields to the max. Frank says David likes to develop a plan, execute it to the best of his ability, make in-season adjustments as needed, evaluate the result at the end of the growing season, and then come up with several new ideas to try in the coming year. One of David's latest ideas has been the use of strip-till, which he used to shatter the worldwide corn yield record in 2019. In this podcast, David shares his experience in setting the new record. Hey, I'm Dave Euler with Rainwood Farms from Charles City, Virginia. And when I think about 2019 and for the last couple of years, some of the things that we have changed to reach some of the yield plateaus that we're at. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, we were no-tilling corn and soybeans, kind of standard procedure. And then in the fall of 86, my dad and granddad and I kind of thought about Let's transition to also doing some no-till small grain into this no-till program. So we went from part of a tillage small grain crop to a no-till corn and soybean crop to what is now known as a never-till program. So after doing that for many years, and we thought we had a great program because we farm along the banks of the James River, which is a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay, so water quality is huge. We're sandy soil, so we got to conserve moisture so no-till gets the rain to go into the soil and then it keeps it from evaporating out. Then, as we got to yield barriers and we were kind of pushing things, we were introduced to some strip-till. I heard some growers talk about strip-tilling. And so I kind of doing some investigating and then we were introduced to the ETS system, the Soil Warrior. And they had one come down to us and we played with a few acres of it. We were impregnating some fertilizer with it, running some strip till and then planting their corn crop behind that. Some of the things that we saw the first year we did it in the very first field, we saw like 37 bushel yield difference. Like, holy smoke, what is going on here? Then some of the later fields didn't see as much drastic variation in yield, but what we did notice that was consistent was emergence. We had a better seed bed preparation because we thought we had a good system with our no-till, with our planter and not row markers or trash sweeps, but we were using no-till coulter, closing system. But as we started doing the soil warrior, we were seeing that seed bed preparation even emergence. Then we started putting fertilizer in it. So then we transitioned into 2019, ran it for the second year. 
and my son was running it. I come up with the ideas on some things and get somebody to actually do the boots on the ground. He was running it and we were getting that well first back up. Here, I'm a guy that likes to go slow, planting and stuff. And they're telling us we need to run this thing at six, seven, eight, nine mile an hour. So that's hard for me to conceive, but for the next generation, that's a whole lot easier because speed, you know how fast we are with internet, just speed. So we're running that and getting that great seed bed. Then we got to planting their corn and the thing we saw in 2019 was we had decent moisture, we had good heat, but air uniformity emergence. From a grower standpoint, when they think about how can they improve their yields on corn, the first thing comes with their planter, planting process, and anything to enhance that, to get that picket fence stand and uniform emergence. And when I say uniform, it's like when one plant comes up, all the other ones adjacent to it come up within 10, 12 GDUs. We were getting that. In fact, on air stands, we were only getting maybe 1% to 2% that would come up later than the rest of it. So that's a benefit. Then when you start thinking about what other savings or what other benefits are with the strip till, rather than broadcasting all this fertilizer, now you can put it in a zone that you can be more efficient. And we don't have as much compaction or we don't have a hard pan because of our previous no-till situation. So we were only working in like a three or four inch deep, seven or eight inch band and we were putting all those nutrients in that band for the entire crop, particularly phosphorus and some potash and, and some micros, and then we were adding some nitrogen sulfur, just kind of filling all that void. And the thing that, I guess when I think of 2019, what was unique about it, other than sunlight and temperatures, was that amount of fertilizer we put out with the soil warrior, as opposed to just putting their fertilizer out with their planter, we filled a void because we start side dressing their corn, but this fertilizer in the soil where that nutrients was breaking down, becoming available because the biology in the soil, it was in the root zone and their tissue levels showed that we didn't get that drop off like we normally do. So we kind of had a maintained curve going up and then, you know, late in the season, it peaks out and starts to roll down. We just push that curve further down in the growing season. So I contribute the benefits to Soil Warrior stand, plant health, and nutrient availability were some of the key things. It's not every day we're gonna have yields like we had this past year. So Soil Warrior is part of our team, and I give a lot of credit to that part of that program that we're implementing. When we first started thinking about the strip till, here I'm a never-till guy, so what are gonna be my oppositions? I was worried about erosion, number one, because now we felt like we had a good job where we weren't having any erosion going on, and now I got this zone, whether we're going crossways or up and down the road. We controlled that, because there's still a little bit of residue there in that strip. It's not like we're blowing it all out. And then the other thing was, what's happening with the air overall plant health. So we're strip tilling their corn. So we're doing that in the late winter. We've unfortunately, because of our wet falls, we haven't been able to do it in the fall. So late winter, then we're stripping this, planting air, either we're gonna do soybeans or our corn, but then we're gonna no-till our small grain back behind that. So this is only a small percentage of it. And we're only working up eight inch wide of a 30 inch row pass. 
So most of our area is undisturbed. Gave me a lot of confidence, particularly when I saw we weren't getting erosion. And then I realized, that, hey, we're going to start no-tilling right back into this. So our organic matter, our plant life, all the benefits of no-till, we haven't sacrificed that by turning the whole crop or the residue over. When I think about us transitioning from a never-till to a strip-till rotation part, particularly in the corn, things that I look for is going to be how we're going to improve our soil health. Because I see that we're going to be adding some soil amendment products, maybe humic acids or some biological products that we're going to be adding there, putting them in a band in the root zone, and then also the fertilizer placement component of it. Here, we're taking where we're broadcasting it. Now, you actually can reduce your fertilizer applications by 40% and just put 60% of it in the band, and you're being more efficient with your dollar. Then the other thing that we see is we're not sacrificing all the no-till properties in the bulk for erosion control and then water management. Because most growers are dealing with water management some way. Either they got too much and they're trying to tile it to get it off, or they don't have enough and we're trying to conserve it or irrigate it. But in areas where I would see also benefits is when you're dealing with cool conditions. This trip-till rig is gonna warm your soil up and it's also gonna dry it out, particularly if you're in a wetter environment. So there are benefits there. And if you're just trying to save some dollars on fertilizer, what better way than to be more efficient and put it in where the root zones are gonna grow? If a grower's just thinking about starting to get into the strip-till area, first of all, you gotta look at it from a standpoint. Don't think about it how you're gonna make more more bushels. Think about it how you can be more efficient. And then number two, there's a network of people that you can surround yourself with. Because hey, we've only been doing it for two years now. I am still a novice at strip till. I'm continuing to learn. We've had some great successes with it, but I know there's a lot more we're going to glean from. And I've been able to surround myself with good folks. Folks here at the ETS group, the Soil Warrior, they've been beneficial in helping me understand how much fertilizer we can put out, where to put it, because there are different ways you can put it in the bottom of the trench you can put it on top you can mix it in the soil so there's a whole lot more to learn that i know and just surrounding yourself with good folks that's what's going to make everybody successful and i know there's a lot of interest and it's not that it's a trend it's just that hey we as growers we got to be efficient with our dollar and we have to be in an roi mode and what better way than to be more efficient with whatever applications we're doing I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Martin Industries, for supporting our No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series. Since 1991, Martin Industries has designed, manufactured, and sold leading agriculture equipment around the world. Known for Martin Till planter attachments, the company has expanded to include a five-step planting system, closing wheel systems, twisted drag chains, fertilizer openers, and more in their lineup. Their durable and reliable planter attachments are making it possible for more and more farmers to plant into higher levels of residue. For more information about Martin Industries, visit them at www.martintill.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-T-I-L-L.com. Before we get back to Commodity Classic in San Antonio, here's Frank Lester with a little-known no-till farmer fact. We've seen some uh, very serious soil losses around the country due to conventional tillage. And there was an instance a couple years ago in the Palouse area of eastern Washington where they think they had uh, losses of as much as 200 tons of topsoil per acre that were lost uh, from 
conventional tilled summer fallowed land. And so the question came up, what is that 200 tons of soil loss really worth? And uh, we worked up a study, we analyzed some different things, and the figures came up to a loss soil due to erosion of $121 per ton of lost soil. So if you take the 200 tons that they lost per acre off this, that adds up to an astounding $24,200 per acre loss in soil for this uh, excessive tillage. Let's get back to the program now and hear from Olin, Iowa strip tiller Darren Stolte, who shares some of the specifics of his intensive fertility program that follow the 4R philosophy for nutrient management. My name's Darren Stoley. I farm in the east central part of Iowa. I started strip tilling in 2014. Started using some Midwestern bioag nutrients in 2016. When I started using Terra New, I was looking for a carbon-based product that was high quality, high available, and I came across the Terra New and they introduced that product to me. And I wanted something that was biology friendly, that was gonna stimulate my biology instead of kill them. Terranu is the last product that I needed to take care of my trace minerals rather than just my N, P, and K. And it's completing my package that I want to grow my crop. I've seen some really nice yield advantages. I've seen my tissue tests increase in micronutrients from the product. And I really believe that my biology is starting to grow and expand. So when I used to broadcast my nutrients, I was using potassium chloride and DAP or MAP. And since I was introduced to the Midwestern BioAg crew, we've switched to higher quality products, more neutral pHs. So now I do not use DAP anymore, I use MAP, mainly for the more neutral pH and less likely to tie up with the calcium like the DAP will do and make the DAP and, or make the phosphorus and the calcium unavailable. And I've switched away from potassium chloride, mainly for the salt reasons, and went to potassium sulfate, which is more highly available, and you also get the benefit of the sulfur out of it. And then I'm also using some AMS in my blends for a sulfur source. How are you doing? which previously I was applying sulfur, but it was a liquid sulfur, which I was mixing with 32% and applying with the planter on the band. So I started using dry AMS, which is more cost-effective than what the liquid product was. I also used some pell lime, some pelleted gypsum in some of my blends. I also use some rock phosphate on a few farms if I really need to build phosphorus levels. My dry products all go out to the field with the soil warrior and get blended into the zone. And then I come back with the planter and I actually have the planter set up with an in-furrow and a sideband application. So I will run a 7213MKP in the furrow, which is made by QLF. And then I will run some 32% in the sideband Sometimes I will use some thiosol in the sideband. Like I've said, I've kind of stepped away from that because I'm putting my sulfur on another way. Throughout the growing season, I come back with my sprayer at when the corn's about five or six feet tall and I top my nitrogen off. Then I usually have about 105 to 110 units of nitrogen on when the seed is placed, whether that be with the planter and the strip-till machine. So I try to get a good base down so we can get the crop up and going and then as rapid uptake 
happens, I'm there with the last application. I have not dialed back rates of any nutrient. Instead of dialing back rates, my yields have went up, so my nutrient efficiencies have gotten better. I guess I have not really experimented with pulling rates back since I've seen yield responses from what I'm doing by just having them placed better in a more timely fashion. Since I've incorporated the four R's into the system, my yields have roughly went up 15 to as much as 25%. When I first started off with the four R's, I started off with applying just an inferral starter with the planter, and I was variable rating dry nutrients at that time. And then I gradually expanded from there. I went to a sideband on the planter the next year, so I had an infro and a sideband. So I was applying nitrogen closer to the root zone. And then I was side dressing the rest of my nitrogen at that time at like the V4 time frame. And that would have been in like 2014. At that time, I learned how important placement is of that nitrogen at that time. I had the outside two rows from the applicator, which only would have been fed from the one side. Those two rows were the first two rows to mature or die in the fall. So that made me realize that placement of that nitrogen is really important. So then the next year, I went with Y-drops to place that nutrient right next to the root zone. Some of the biggest benefits I see from using these higher quality, more readily available nutrients the Terranew especially, I feel long-term that my biology is going to keep growing and expanding and in return, hopefully have more readily available nutrients to the crops and in return to that, have bigger yields for more return on investment. Thanks for tuning in to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. You can find more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies at notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Before we wrap up this episode, here's Frank once more answering a listener inquiry. So we had some people ask about uh, what kind of acreage we had when no-till first got started. And if you look back to 1969, Kentucky was the leader with about 150,000 acres, and then next was North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. So they were kind of in the mid-south area of the country. Uh, Ohio at that time in 69 had about 8,000 acres. Indiana only had 2,000 acres. So we've made a lot of progress since then. And if you look at Kansas in 1969, the experts think that there were only 100 acres of no-till in Kansas at that time. Thanks to David Hula and Darren Stolte for taking the time to meet with us during the 2020 Commodity Classic. And thanks to our sponsor, Martin Industries, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. And don't forget that Frank would love to answer your questions about No-Till and the people and innovations that have made an impact on today's practices. So please email your questions to us at listenermail at notillfarmer.com. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. For Frank Lesseter and our entire staff here at Notill Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.